Hello and welcome to edition number 1895 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording on Thursday 6th of January in the Methodist Church. And I'm delighted to say we're back to having our usual four readers. I'm Debbie Diakon and I edited this edition. Our readers this week are Dorothy Allen, Jenny Wiley, Keith Turner and Byron Russell. Our recording engineer this week is Graham Diakon. As is usual, we've, we have um, items taken mainly from the Whitney Gazette. But before we go any further, I'd like to wish all our listeners a very happy new year for 2022. These are indeed uncertain times, but I sincerely wish you good health throughout the year and the hope that we can inch our way back to normality. Our first story is the Whitney Gazette's headline story about how the Scouts stepped up to help with delivering prescriptions during lockdown, and it will be read by Keith. Badge of honour for Scouts Medicine Delivery. A Scout volunteer who mobilised a team to deliver prescriptions in the pandemic has been awarded the British Empire Medal, BEM, in the New Year's Honours List. Sarah Townsend was recognised for services to the community in Whitney, particularly during COVID-19. Mrs Townsend, in her role as dispensary manager of the Windrest Medical Practice, came up with the idea at the beginning of the pandemic to use scouts to deliver prescriptions to vulnerable patients. That blossomed into 65 volunteers working with all eight pharmacies in Whitney, By the time the scheme had finished at the end of July 2020, the volunteers had delivered 7,500 prescriptions. Of her honour, Mrs Townsend said, I was completely surprised and I feel very humble. Before the first lockdown, we could see people queuing up for two hours outside our nearest pharmacy. I'm so glad that it was quick to realise there were so many adults in the Scouts who could help. This truly was a huge team effort, the sheer number of people who volunteered their time for free shows to true sense of scouting in every way. Each and every one of those who helped deserves recognition. It has been difficult not telling anyone, especially it has been such a team effort. It felt a bit wrong for me to be singled out, as although it was me who put the wheels in motion, I want this to be for everybody. The issue of how to deliver prescriptions at the beginning of the pandemic was first raised by Dr Steve Bright at Windrush Medical Practice. He was concerned about the queues of elderly patients collecting their prescriptions and asked Mrs Townsend in her position as Deputy District Commissioner for the Scouts in West Oxfordshire for any help she could provide. Jeff Greer, Scout Leader for North Lee, was instrumental in coordinating the efforts alongside Mrs Townsend. He said people were over the moon. It took away a lot of the worries and stress, particularly for the older generations. It was great for us too. We're all doers and it was good to be busy. Television adventurer Bear Grylls also helped the organisation, Chief Scout said. The past two years have been really tough for everybody. But in dark times, some people really do shine. Sarah and the group of Scout volunteers she mobilised leapt into action, delivering prescriptions to vulnerable and shielding patients. They really stepped up to the challenge and helped those who need the community. I'm so proud of Sarah. Sarah, team for raising the challenge when their nation needed them. Next, it's Dorothy with an article about local girl Torrin who just won a TV singing competition. 
The headlines are Taurin and Spice Girl MC clinch Voice Kids triumph. A teenager who busked in Whitney Market Square has been announced as the winner of television talent show The Voice Kids. Singer Torin Cuthill, 14, was named the champion at Christmas after her group's performance of Proud Mary in the Battle Round and her solo performance of Old Lang Syne in the Grand Final. The ITV show, which was aired over three nights last week, saw aspiring singers aged 7 to 14 taking to the stage in a bid to impress the coaching panel of famous names from the world of pop music. Former Spice Girl Mel C., Pixie Lott, Will I Am and Danny Jones, all in the show's red chairs. Torin was mentored by Mel C. in the competition. Speaking, speaking to host Emma Willis after the news of her win was revealed, Torin said, It just feels totally incredible and thank you to Melanie because I wouldn't be here without you. Mel admitted that she had not been sure whether the audience would vote for Torin, as she was a bit different to the other singers, but felt the most incredible feeling when they did. She added, I'm a little bit emotional just thinking about it now. I really felt she was something really special, but I didn't know she'd be the audience's choice. There was so much talent in that studio, technically incredible singers. I just think Torin is so special in so many ways, and I think she kind of breaks the mould. I'm very, very proud of her. After the mentors guided their teams through the competition, the final choice of champion was given to viewers at home. Mel C said, Being a performer and knowing that in those high-pressure situations where you have to perform, how tough that can be, well, they all, the finalists, did amazingly. Better than us coaches. It was incredible and I was proud of all of them on the stage for the entire show. As for Torin, I'm truly just so excited to see what the future holds for her. I think if she continues on this path, she's so passionate, she's so dedicated, that I just think there's no stopping her. I do believe she could become one of the greats of our time. She's got that potential. She's so talented. She just has that ability to connect with people and to touch your soul. And there are two photographs of Torin looking extremely happy, and uh, and her mentor in the background, also extremely happy to. Thank you, Dorothy. Now we've got Byron, who will tell us about why Jeremy Clarkson's in the news again. And the headline is, Clarkson Shed Cafe Project Unappetising to Planners. Jeremy Clarkson's scheme for a restaurant in his lambing shed at Didley Squat Farm in the Oxfordshire Cotswolds have been opposed by planners. The broadcaster, whose hit show Clarkson's Farm has brought countless visitors to the area, applied to open a 60-seat cafe or restaurant and a 70-space car park at Diddley Squat Farm in Chadlington, near Chipping Norton. The application is recommended for refusal by West Oxfordshire District Council's Uplands Area Planning Subcommittee. Planning Officer Joan Desmond concluded... By reason of its siting, design, scale and location, the proposed development would not be sustainable and would not be compatible or consistent in scale with the existing farming business or its open countryside location. She said the plans would be in conflict with several policies of the West Oxfordshire Local Plan 
2031, and advice in the National Planning Policy Framework setting out government policies. She said, By reason of its design, scale, siting, and nature of use within the Cotswold area of outstanding natural beauty, the proposed development would have a visually intrusive and harmful impact on the rural character, scenic beauty, and tranquility of the area. Some 53 letters of objection have been received, including representations from solicitors Lee Day. One comment said that the lambing shed had never been intended to support the wider farming operations of Diddley Squat Farm. Its purpose was as a filming location and now a restaurant. Supporters say many look forward to the addition of a restaurant and work in shops and businesses in Chadlington has improved because of visitors. One said, Given the remoteness of the location and there being a set number of covers a restaurant could manage at any time, all objections regarding increased traffic are a fallacy. With the use of online reservations, a change of use to a restaurant will regularise visitors and be a positive to those concerned. A change of use will increase disruption. Chadlington Parish Council called the application extremely divisive and the vote on the plan was inconclusive. It submitted a list of concerns as well as comments from those in support. A report to councillors from WODC's Business Development Officer supports the application from the economic development perspective. It considers that the café restaurant is a sensible next step in farm diversification to sustain the business by increasing income and mitigating against falling subsidies. At the same time, there are benefits to the local economy through the use of local producers and processors along with attracting visitors who spend money with other local businesses in the area. Oxfordshire County Council had no objection. Senior transport planner Tim Pert said, The addition of an in-out arrangement will improve the efficiency of access, preventing blocking of the highway. He said it considered there was sufficient capacity to meet parking demand with an overspill area for peak times and, as visitors will be required to pre-book, the application is unlikely to lead to a significant impact on traffic. And we have a photograph here of uh, Jeremy Clarkson um, standing outside his farm, raffling water over the Christmas holidays. Uh, Thanks, Byron. But it's not all over about Clarkson yet, because uh, Jenny has an article, this time about him causing traffic chaos. Thank you. Traffic chaos in last stash to visit TV star's farm shop. A villager who lives near Jeremy Clarkson's diddly squat farm shop has said the enterprise caused complete chaos in the festive season. On New Year's Eve, long traffic delays were seen on Chipping Norton Road, Chadlington, as people queued to get into the popular shop ahead of its two-month closure. Mr Clarkson's farm shop will not be open in January or February, according to social media, and therefore December 31st was the last chance fans had to visit. The AA Traffic News site also showed that there were severe delays on Chipping Norton Road as cars approached the Burford Road junction. 
A Chadlington householder who has asked to be anonymous was unhappy about the traffic delays and the shop's popularity has caused. She told the Whitney Gazette, Buses couldn't get through, everything was at a standstill and nothing was being done. A ten-minute round trip took over an hour due to traffic and parking on the road. The villagers said it appeared parking attendants at the shop were instructing cars to park on the side of the road. She added, It was complete chaos. I was 20 minutes late for a doctor's appointment due to queues. The parked cars went on for more than a mile. It was ridiculous. It took us half an hour to get up the road to get to our home. However, Jeremy responded by replying to our tweet about her concerns. The host of Top Gear, Grand Tour and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, who has also filmed his work as a fledgling farmer in hit Amazon Prime series Clarkson's Farm, said the woman could have used a different road instead of moaning. He said there were three roads from Chadlington to the A361. She could have used one of the other two instead of moaning. It is not the first time the Stars Farm Shop has caused issues on the road. The huge popularity of farming show has led to lots of fans turning up to get a glimpse of the agricultural enterprise. Headline, two new deaths and 1,163 more coronavirus cases. The number of coronavirus cases in West Oxford rose by 1,163 in the six days, official figures showed, with two more deaths recorded. A total of 16,973 people had been confirmed as testing positive for COVID-19 in West Oxfordshire when the UK Coronavirus Daily Dashboard was updated on December the 29th, up from 15,810 last Thursday. <clears throat> the rate of infection stood at 15,187 cases per 100,000 people far lower than the England average of 18,891. Across the UK, the number of recorded cases increased by 790,000 to 12,559,926. There are also two more coronavirus deaths recorded in the latest six-day period in West Oxfordshire. The dashboard shows 135 people had died by December the 29th, up from 133 on the level of the previous Thursday. It means that there had been two deaths in the past week, which was an increase on none the previous week. The figures included anybody who had died within 28 days of a positive test result for COVID-19 and whose usual residence was in West Oxfordshire. The figures also showed that more than four in five people in West Oxfordshire had received two doses of COVID-19 vaccine. The headline is Farm Wins Award for International Best Family Visits. A farm attraction aimed at children, including those with disabilities, has picked up an international award for quality. Fairy Tale Farm near Chipping Norton has been named Best Family Entertainment Centre in the Park World Excellence Awards, organised by Park World Magazine, a publication for the attractions industry. Fairy Tale Farm was up against four other shortlisted attractions Climb Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates, Hall You Need in France, and the I'm a Celebrity's 
Jungle Challenge and Kidzania attractions in the UK. The awards were announced in a virtual awards ceremony on New Year's Eve. Owner Nick Leister said, It's a great honour to be recognised by such a highly respected awards ceremony, especially given the international competition. The awards were decided by a panel of esteemed industry professionals, so it means a lot to us. It is a tribute to the great team of staff that operate Fairytale Farm. Without them, this would not have been possible. Their energy, passion and enthusiasm make Fairytale Farm such a fantastic place for families to visit. Mixing classic fairy tales, animals and adventure play, Fairytale Farm is a family-owned attraction opened in 2013 by then Prime Minister David Cameron. And the headline here is County Tops UK's Recycling League Table. For the eighth year in a row, Oxfordshire householders have come top of the nationwide table when it comes to recycling, reusing and composting. Oxfordshire County Council has again been named as the best performing county council for waste disposal in England. In 2020-21, residents recycled, reused or composted 59.5% of their household waste, an increase for last year's figure of 58.8% according to government figures. Oxfordshire's five district and city councils also did well in their national categories. The total amount of household waste produced in Oxfordshire was 310,479 tonnes for 2020-21. 186,052 tonnes were reused, recycled and composted, which created a carbon benefit of 126,603 tonnes of CO2 compared to disposing it through landfill. South Oxfordshire and the Vale of the White Horse came second and fourth respectively, while West Oxfordshire, Cherwell and Oxford City were all in the top performing 25%. Oxfordshire County Council's Environment Lead, Councillor Pete Sudbury, said, This is a really solid achievement and I want to thank the people of Oxfordshire and our waste management teams for all the work they have done to make this happen. PE teachers bid to boost poetry. A PE teacher hopes to encourage more boys to write poetry by publishing his first children's book. Mark Hyatt, who teaches at St John the Evangelist CE Primary School in Carterton, is following in his grandmother's footsteps in seeing The Banana Tree published. Mr Hyatt, who grew up in Whitney and has taught at St John's for 10 years, has written a range of stories for his own children, but sought to get published during the pandemic. He said, I've been writing for 20 years, but I didn't do anything about it. Becoming a dad spurred me on as my own children love the stories, and that pushed me to look at getting published during the lockdown. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to publish as they're private stories, but I've made the plunge and gone for it. A friend did all the illustrations, and the book was published last month. It was quite emotional. My grandmother was a published poet, so she'd have been absolutely she'd have absolutely loved it. As a young man teaching sport, it's not something usually shouted about, but it's got some of the boys reading, which is brilliant. It's especially nice to see the boys talking about poetry and having a go at it, as with poetry, you can put your feelings on paper. 
and reading and writing skills as well as physical and social skills of children have been impacted during the pandemic, so to do something to address some of that is really rewarding. The banana tree is aimed at children aged three to seven, and Mr Hyatt explained how it could be the first of many. He said, The story is something like what Julia Donaldson would do. It's about a man who gets washed up on a desert island and survives off a banana tree. A monkey is also washed up during the storm and the two learn to survive without knowing each other is there. The two learn to share and that's the key message. The local community has been brilliant and everyone has wanted a copy which is funding the next book I'm hoping to publish for World Book Day next year. Whitney MP Robert Courts, who visited St John's last term, said, My children love the story and the beautiful illustrations. And the piece is uh, illustrated here with a photograph of the author, teacher Mark Hyatt, with his book The Banana Tree and his own two children looking at the pictures. Headline, £10 per household plan for tax rise to fund more police. Council tax bills could rise by £10 for the average household to fund extra police officers. The Police and Crime Commissioner for Thames Valley, Matthew Barber, said he wanted to spend any extra cash on frontline policing. Already those living in Bandy property in Oxford pay £231 a year toward Thames Valley Police, mm-hmm. representing around a tenth of their overall council tax bill. That could go up by £10 in 22-23, Mr Barber said. He claimed the increase could raise £9 million for policing across the Thames Valley. The Commissioner launched a non-lay survey asking people what they wanted to see the money spent on. He said it is important that if there is any increase in council tax now, at a time when many families are struggling and costs are rising, it focused on frontline policing to tackle the concerns of the public. Mr Barber added, in previous years, the support of local taxpayers through their council tax has meant that we have managed to reduce the time it takes for the police to answer non-urgent 101 calls to significantly increase detection rates, meaning that more victims of crime receive justice and more criminals are held to account and create a dedicated rural crime task force. There's a picture of Mr Matthew Barber. Muddy runners soaked for pub race along river routes. <clears throat> Charity fund runners of all ages, some wearing fat fancy dress, waded through icy streams, ducked through black tunnels on their hands and knees and scrambled up river banks for the return of a muddy race. Some 188 runners set off from the Titan pub in Chadlington near Chipping Norton for the Great Brook Run after being called to order at the start of the race with a horn. The annual festive cross-country race, which takes place half on land and half on water, was was back after what organisers called a pandemic forced pause. Runners started at the pub and ran alongside the Great Brook for the first half a mile of the race. At the halfway point, the race becomes much tougher, and competitors have to make their way back thrashing through Calderon Brook. The race ends with runners worming their way through a tunnel immersed in icy water. One of the organisers, Rachel Godfrey, said, 
The course was extremely muddy for the first half, going alongside the brook in muddy fields. At the end, you enter the tunnel under the road, which gets narrower till you have to go on your hands and knees, which isn't for the faint-hearted. Medals for all at the end of it, and beer for some. The Great Brook Run has been taking place since 2006 and has the slogan, Run, Get Wet, Have a Pint. Proceeds from the £5 entry fee go to good local good causes. This year's event raised an estimated £600 for the Oxfordshire Association for the Blind. And there's a picture of a fair-haired lady on her hands and knees just emerging from the very wet tunnel. I guess she feels it's worth it. And then underneath that is a man with only trousers on and a Santa Claus hat and he's got his arms raised and feels he's not going to get muddy on his clothes anyway. And now a couple of short items. The first is about David Beckham, the new resident in West Oxfordshire. The headline is, Beck's stalker banned from Star's rural home. An alleged stalker has been banned from going within 500 metres of David Beckham's home near Chipping Norton. The England legend bought the £6 million Cotswold mansion with wife Victoria in 2016. Together with the couple's London house and daughter Harper's school, it is one of the locations 58-year-old Sharon Bell is prohibited from going near. Bell, of Boundary Way, Watford, is also banned from contacting or approaching any member of the Beckham family. It follows the making of an interim stalking protection order for five months at Westminster Magistrates Court last month. On May the 13th, the court will decide whether a permanent order is necessary. And the next item, murder book, top of the list. Pointless quiz host Richard Osman's bestseller, The Thursday Murder Club, was the most borrowed book from Oxfordshire Libraries last year. The plot concerns friends in a retirement village whose hobby is to meet once a week to investigate unsolved murders, but then find a brutal killing on their own doorstep. The book, which is being made into a movie by Steven Spielberg, saw the TV man crowned Author of the Year at the British Book Awards. Between January 1st, 2021 and December 1st, it was borrowed 334 times in Oxfordshire libraries. Comics father in bid to make district posh. Comedian Jack Whitehall says his father, Michael, is such a snob that he changes the location of his Oxfordshire home to sound more upmarket. Jack told the Daily Mail he has moved out, of the con- out to the country and lives near Banbury. But he thinks Banbury sounds a bit common, so he insists on calling it the North Cotswolds. Jack's dad is a former theatrical agent who would regularly invite stars such as Dame Judi Dench to dinner at their home in London when Jack was a boy. He said, we lived in Putney, but my dad liked to say Barnes as he thought it was classier. Father and Son starred in Travels with My Father, a travel documentary road trip comedy television series on Netflix that covered the pair's travels to various places around the world, encountering silly and awkward situations. Jack, who attended the Dragon School, 
enjoyed a joke and a laugh when he visited young fans at an Oxford hospice in 2019. The star spent an hour and a half at Helen and Douglas House in Magdalen Road and donated 20 tickets for the new theatre show the same day. The bad education actor said, It is always such an honour to visit Helen and Douglas House. It is one of the most inspiring places you could ever visit. I've had such a laugh hanging out with everyone. And the article is accompanied by a picture of Jack Whitehall having a laugh with one of the hospice boys, Mason Fernley. So all our readers will be back with more stories soon. But now it's the editor's choice. So this week I found an article about the shortest day and the customs uh, of this time of year. And I found an article from Country File magazine by Mark Rowe uh, all about the winter solstice. The winter solstice signals the shortest day of the year. The dark evenings of midwinter divide opinion. For some of us, they're an atmospheric component of living in northerly latitudes and make the longer summer hours all the more pleasurable. It's fair to say, though, that a greater number of us dread them. Seasonal affective disorder caused by the lack of light at this time of year is a recognised medical condition. Unsurprisingly, the winter solstice on or around 21st of December is a date that many people circle in the diary. Thereon, the days lengthen and the northern hemisphere begins its six-month trundle towards midsummer and the summer solstice. This year, the official winter solstice, also known as the hibernal solstice, took place on 21st of December 19, uh, 2021. In London, the sun set at approximately 1553, marking the shortest period of daylight and the longest night of the year. True enough, the winter solstice is the shortest day, and it seems reasonable to assume that on this day the sun will rise later than on any other day and set earlier. This, though, is not the case. The earliest sunsets in the year occur about a week before the solstice, and the latest sunrises around early January. The days as a whole do get longer on 23rd of December, because on this day the returning light in the evening finally outweighs the still diminishing morning light. The winter solstice occurs on the day when the sun's apparent altitude reaches its lowest point at noon. In celestial terms, this is when the sun reaches its greatest declination south of the celestial equator, a line in the sky created by projecting the Earth's equator onto the stars since the Earth's North Pole leans as far away from the Sun as possible. The change in the Sun's declination around the solstice is very slow as it rounds a curve and begins to rise up towards the equator again. And then the next heading is, How long is a day? Answer, 24 hours. And Tom Curse, an astronomer at the Royal Observatory Greenwich, will politely correct you. He says, the Earth's rotation, which is very consistent, has been measured with respect to the stars to be 23 hours, 56 minutes, 4.1 seconds. Due to the history of timekeeping, we base our clocks on the length of a solar day. 
the time between noon today and noon tomorrow, or the time between two solar crossings of the meridian. We divide this into 24 hours, but in fact this figure isn't consistent from one day to the next. The length of a solar day fluctuates throughout the year by a maximum of not more than 30 seconds. Therefore, we take the average length of a solar day, 24 hours, and call this a civil day. This has become the backbone of global timekeeping in the modern world. Ancient cultures have revered the sun for centuries, and evidence of their biannual rituals can be found across the UK. Stonehenge is our most famous site, but there are many more to discover. I believe that this year people were allowed to gather again at Stonehenge, and this is important to modern-day Druids. Include lots of warm, nourishing local... Or some people create something handmade that celebrates new life and the natural world, such as a wreath. As you know, many people do this ready for Christmas. Then I thought I would look up something about the roots of Christmas and Yuletide. Christmas owes its roots to the ancient Roman holiday of Saturnalia, which was a pagan festival which was celebrated from December 17th to 25th each year. This custom was altered and absorbed into Christmas, and this allowed early Christians to gradually erase these old pagan holidays. Some say the Christmas tree's origins come from Saturnalia, as Romans would hack down trees and bring them into their homes during this festival. Others track the tree back to pre-Christian times when people brought trees and evergreen branches indoors to mark the arrival of midwinter. Yule was observed by Germanic people and marked the winter solstice in the northern hemisphere. Today, Yuletide refers to the Christmas period, though it is still observed by some modern-day pagans. So next is our weekly quiz, and here are the answers to the quiz that was um, set on uh, December 16th. So question one was, in the carol the 12 days of Christmas, who sent all the presents? And the answer is, my true love. Question two, which Christmas song starts, the sun is shining, the sky is blue, the orange and palm trees sway, there's never been such a day in Beverly Hills, LA. Answer, white Christmas. Maybe I didn't sing it very well. Question three, Which of Santa's reindeer is missing from this list, apart from Rudolph? Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Comet, Cupid, Donner and Blitzen. And the answer is Vixen. Question number four. In the carol, Good King Wenceslas, he he looked out on the Feast of Stephen. What date is the Feast of Stephen? 26th of December is the answer. And question, these are hard, aren't they? Question number five. In which city is Wenceslas Square? Prague, yes, we knew that one. We didn't know many of the others. So, and now to this week's questions. And I've chosen the theme of New Year and Winter.
Question number one. Which zodiac sign runs from November 22nd to December 21st? Question number two. What are the official months of winter? Three official months of winter. Question number three. Snowflakes usually have how many sides? Question number four. And if you were listening to my article, you'll know the answer to this. What is the shortest day of the year called? Question number five. What phobia is an extreme fear of the snow? So you'll get the answers to those questions next week. And now to our notice board. First of all, we'd like to make you aware of an organisation called the TORCH Fellowship. TORCH provides advice, support, opportunities for fellowship and library services free of charge to registered blind and partially sighted people. They normally meet on the first Saturday of every month at 2pm. But since last Saturday was New Year's Day, they will meet this coming Saturday the 8th of January in the Welcome Church, High Street, Whitney. New members are very welcome. And the contact number is 01993-891-639. So if you're interested in some support, give them a ring and see when you'd like to go along. First Saturday of each month at 2 o'clock. This week, we'd like to wish a very happy birthday to Mrs. Doreen Weaving, whose birthday it was this week. I'm sorry to announce the following deaths were announced in the Whitney Gazette this week. Margaret Theresa King on 26th of November, aged 89. Julie Ann Shuri on 2nd of December, aged 58. Pamela Wendy Keddy on 20th of December, aged 91. Judith Ann Cooper on 22nd of December, aged 74. And Malcolm Jones on 24th of December, aged 73. So we send our condolences to family and friends. Now, Keith has the sport. And then we'll finish with another round of articles from the news pages. The headline is Driving Force. Mark Sykes says he is enjoying life on and off the pitch as he continued his goal-scoring form to secure a draw with Cheltenham Town. The Oxford United midfielder equalised eight minutes from the end of the Sky Bet League One clash to find the net for the fourth time in five matches. He earned the use a 1-1 draw in the New Year's Day clash at the Kassam Stadium on an afternoon when they struggled to find their rhythm. Matty Taylor missed a first-half penalty before Callum Wright put the visitors ahead three minutes after the break following Sykes' miscued clearance. The Irishman redeemed himself with his eighth goal of a prolific season and he was relieved to make the difference. It was my fault for their goal, so I needed to make up for it, Sykes said. Goals are the most important thing, and they're coming for me at the moment. United were sluggish for most of the afternoon, 
but Gavin White's introduction from the bench gave them a much-needed spark. The Northern Ireland international provided the cross for the equaliser, his fourth assist in three games. White and Sykes have known each other since they were both playing in Northern Ireland, and the goals caused lovers lining up alongside his close friend. He said, I've known him for a long time. We never played for the same club team, but played against each other and were really good friends. When you know you've got a friend from back home on the pitch, you strike up a good relationship. Especially in the Wimbledon game on Wednesday, I thought we were playing really well together and I was in the right place for him. The headline is, Children and Care Home Residents Unite for Show. A theatre has received more than £3,000 for a project which will see primary school pupils work with care home residents to put together a performance. Shipping Norton Theatre got the £3,190 grant from West Oxfordshire District Council, WODC, with the project taking place next year. Pupils will be paired with local care home residents to share stories which will be turned into a performance involving the children. Jane Doughty, Cabinet Member for Customer Delivery at WODC, said, This is an excellent idea and goes to show the power of art in bringing people who are worlds apart together. I look forward to this delightful production which should occur in the spring of next year. Our stories are so important to tell and share. I hope residents go out to support this creativity when it is ready. William Arnold, community producer at Chipping Norton Theatre, added, We are delighted to be embarking on this new intergenerational project and to continue our work with school students and care home residents in Chipping Norton. With Memory Lanes, our recent outdoor exhibition, we witness the power of reminiscence to unite communities. We're very excited to be translating this to a theatrical context, working alongside our community partners to inspire creativity, encourage empathy and deepen community cohesion. And there's a photo of three young teenagers obviously practising for their performance. And the headline here is School and Salon Listed Over Low-Wage Failures. A private school and a hairdresser's are among more than 200 employers to be named and shamed by the government for failing to pay the minimum wage. In total, 208 businesses across the country were ordered to repay approximately 12,000 workers. Among them were Sibford School in Banbury and Woods Hair Limited, trading as Chapters Hair Design in Whitney. Sibford School where fees for the senior school and sixth form this academic year reached more than £10,000 per term for full boarders, failed to pay a total of £9,282.19 to five workers. This occurred between September 2016 and June 2018. Meanwhile, Woods Hair Limited failed to pay a total of £901.56 to two workers between September and December 2017. Across the country, 208 employers were found to have failed to pay their workers a grand total of £1.2 million in a breach of national minimum wage law. Businesses have since had to pay back what they owe to staff, 
and also face significant financial penalties of up to 200% of what was owed. The investigations by Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs concluded between 2014 and 2019. Paul Scully, Minister for Labour Markets, said, We want workers to know that we are on their side and they must be treated fairly by their employers, which is why paying the legal minimum wage should be non-negotiable for businesses. The 208 businesses, whatever their size, should know better than to shortchange hard-working employees, regardless of whether it was intentional or not. The Low Pay Commission is an independent body which advises the government on the national living wage and the national minimum wage. Its chair, Brian Sanderson, said, The minimum wage is a success story welcomed by employees and employers alike but it only works if everyone, without exception, obeys the law. We hope that this latest naming round can continue to raise awareness of the most common mistakes businesses make and help protect low-paid workers from unfair treatment. There are now two short items. The first is headlined, Cars Roof Cut Open for New Year's Eve Rescue. Firefighters cut open a car roof to rescue someone trapped inside following a New Year's Eve crash. News from Chipping Norton, Hook Norton and Banbury were called to the incident at the roundabout where the A361 crosses the A3400 in Chipping Norton at 10.20pm last Friday. Firefighters found the badly damaged car on its side, with one person stuck inside. All roads entering the roundabout were shut, while work to release the casualty began. The roof was folded down using hydraulic cutters, so crews could safely assess the person and get them into the care of paramedics and doctors from South Central Ambulance Service and Thames Valley Air Ambulance. The second Short item is a, is a complete contrast. Hunt for new film star. A thriller film which will shoot in Oxford this month is looking for its female star. Short film Emily will shoot in and around the city and is on the hunt for a female lead to take on the challenging and extremely rewarding role. The film is based around a girl who is partially deaf and who escapes her day-to-day life to a remote cabin in the woods. Little does Emily realise she may not be alone and she begins to experience terrifying noises, children laughing, approaching footsteps and much worse. Producers are looking for a female aged between 18 and 35 who has previous acting experience in paid speaking roles. She will have to really embody the character as well as being able to be immediately terrified, draw tears and make viewers feel and see that the presence of phantom figures pressurises you. Producers are recommending people apply as soon as possible. Thank you. Headline, Making Noise About 450th Anniversary. Burford School is celebrating its 450th anniversary. The school said the foresight and imagination of the townsmen ensured that the children of Burford have given the opportunity over the last four and a half centuries to receive a standard of education second to none. 
There's a large photograph of the Sheldonian Theatre that's overlaid with the words, Burford School had a momentous year marking its 450th anniversary and celebrated with the Sheldonian Festival concert. And then there are five small photographs of children playing the violin, a cello, trombones and a flute. The headline is Care Boss and Hollywood Director Among Honoured. A care home boss has been awarded an OBE in the Queen's New Year's Honours List. Dan Hayes, Chief Executive of the Order of St John's Care Trust, OSJCT, has been chosen for services to the social care sector. OSJCT is one of the UK's leading not-for-profit care providers and manages 16 care homes in Oxfordshire, while providing care services in nine extra care house schemes in the county. Dan from Tame joined OSJCT 19 years ago as an HR manager and progressed through the ranks to Chief Executive in 2015. He said, I'm absolutely delighted to receive this recognition, but also clear that the award would not have been made if I hadn't been fortunate enough to spend my social care career with OSJCT. It is my great good fortune to represent literally thousands of OSJCT colleagues who deserve similar recognition for what they continue to do and who have carried me to the honour. Dan is also a director of the National Care Forum, which promotes quality care and advocates with government departments on behalf of the sector. Oscar-nominated film director Paul Greengrass has also been awarded an OBE, but for services to the arts. The 66-year-old, based in Henley, directed three of the five films in the Jason Bourne spy franchise starring Matt Damon. He specialises in dramatisations of historic events, and is known for his signature use of handheld cameras. He also directed The Murder of Stephen Lawrence, 2002's Bloody Sunday, about the 1972 shootings in Derry, Northern Ireland, and United 93, a film based on the 11th of September 2001 hijacking of United Airlines Flight 93, which earned him a BAFTA and a Best Director Oscar nomination. He directed Tom Hanks in 2013's Captain Phillips, based on the real-life 2009 hijacking of a cargo ship by Somali pirates. His directing career began in the 1980s, with ITV current affairs show World in Action. He also co-authored the book Spycatcher, 1987, with Peter Wright, former assistant director of MI5. It contained enough sensitive information that the British government made an unsuccessful attempt to ban it. In 2007, he co-founded Directors UK, a professional association for British directors. Dr Mick Donegan, who has been awarded an MBE, is the founder and director of Special Effect, a charity based in Cornbury Park near Charlbury, which uses specialised technology to enhance access to video games and creative self-expression for people with a wide range of disabilities. His work with computer technologies like eye control and brain control has helped everyone, 
from wounded servicemen to children with life-limiting conditions to enjoy a better quality of life. Many of those he supports have very complex disabilities, including locked-in syndrome. In April 2018, after three years of development, Special Effect launched the world's first free-to-play interface, which enables even the most severely disabled young people all over the world to play the university pop- universally popular game Minecraft by gaze control alone. In May of that year, Mixed Charity launched iGaze Games, which is a suite of free-to-play online games for people whose only form of control is their eye movement. As a result, disabled people, wherever they are, will be able to meet and compete at chess, drafts, and many other games with anyone anywhere in the world. Mick has been involved in several highly regarded and influential projects, has published widely, and won many awards for his work. He told website Idea Mensch why he was so passionately enthusiastic about cutting-edge technology such as eye gaze and brain control. Mick said, I cannot help sharing an intense feeling of frustration. The closest word I can find to express the emotion is anger on behalf of the many people who have severe disabilities and are unable to communicate or control technology as quickly and effectively as they could, given the right technology and support, particularly those who cannot communicate independently at all. I'm driven by wanting to reduce the frequently huge shortfall between the limited amount that they can currently achieve and what they could potentially achieve. There are so many wonderful new developments in technology and so many wonderful people out there that I'm driven to do what I can to bring these technologies and people together to help those who need our help the most. And now this article is from the Charity Champions page of the Whitney Gazette. And it's titled, New Radiology Play Specialist at Oxford Children's Hospital. A new play specialist for radiology is now working at Oxford Children's Hospital to support more young patients having scans while they are still awake. Sonia Dugmore, a senior play specialist, has been appointed for the role for two years and will use her skills to help a huge number of children avoid the need for general anaesthetic when having MRI scans, magnetic resonance imaging, allowing them to get home much more quickly. The Children's Hospital is part of the West Wing at the John Radcliffe Hospital site in Headington. Some young patients, such as those with spinal and brain injuries and certain cancers, have a lot of MRIs, so avoiding the need for general anaesthetic makes a big difference. Funding for this new role has all come from Oxford Hospital's charity, much of it from the annual OX5 run in 2021. The event last year was virtual due to the pandemic, but this year the five-mile run will return to Blenheim Palace on Sunday, March the 20th. Ms Dugmore said... This post was developed during the pandemic, when our capacity for anaesthetics was significantly reduced. So we set up a programme using the skills of a play specialist to try to increase the number of young patients having an MRI while still awake. It was such a success that we wanted to continue this work and applied to the charity for funding to help. Thanks to their support, 
many young patients undergoing MRIs and other important diagnostic scans will now have specialist support during their procedures. I am so excited about the difference this will make for these youngsters across the radiology department at the Children's Hospital, and I'd like to thank all the charity supporters who helped make this happen. The Oxford Hospital's charity team supports them through its funding for toys, technology and play areas, and now by funding this new role for two years. And there's a large photograph of senior play specialist Sonia Dugmore um, sitting in front of an MRI scanner and holding up a big placard saying Oxford Hospitals Charity. Also from the Charity Champions page, Treadmill Takes Strain. The John Radcliffe Hospital supports more than 1,000 patients a year through almost 5,000 physiotherapy appointments, and they are now benefiting from the hospital's new anti-gravity treadmill. This piece of equipment speeds up rehabilitation from injury, but also provides significant mental and physical benefits to patients, all funded through donations from the patients and the local community. Jane Denby is in her 60s and lives in Oxford. In 2019, she suffered a serious fracture of her lower leg after an accident in her garden. It had a devastating impact on her mobility. She was offered the chance to use the treadmill and went from only being able to walk 10 steps using crutches to walking on the treadmill for 16 minutes. She said, you never think you will walk again and then there you are walking. It's an amazing feeling. You feel completely weightless. There's a picture of a patient receiving treatment, um, but it's not very clear how the treadmill works. But. And finally, Tesco shoppers helped to donate millions of meals. Tesco shoppers in Oxfordshire have been thanked after they helped donate more than 1.5 million meals worth of food to charities which feed people during winter months. During the twice-yearly Tesco food collection, which ran in Tesco stores from November the 18th to the 20th, customers were asked to donate long-life food to support Fair Share and Trussell Trust. Stores reported that customers gave the highest volume of food donations to support the local charities since the start of the pandemic. Overall, Tesco's customers provided 1.57 million meals during the campaign, with shoppers in Oxfordshire donating an estimated 8,116 meals. Lindsay Boswell, Chief Executive of Fair Share, said shoppers donated make a huge difference to the frontline charities they supplied. He said the food collection is so important to Fair Share because donations of long-life items may be able to complement the fresh food that we receive year-round from Tesco's with stables like diet rice, tinned vegetables and tea and coffee. Thank you to every single Tesco customer who donated the food collection this year. Your generous donations will help us to continue supporting local charities and community groups that are helping to feed people in the need this winter. Emma Reeve, Chief Executive of Trussell Trust, said throughout 2021, communities across the UK have stepped in to provide vital support to people at food banks left without enough money for the essentials. 
This emergency lifeline is only possible due to the incredible compassion and generosity of Tesco customers, including those in the Oxfordshire during the Tesco food collection. Right now, people near you are making impossible decisions between staying warm or buying food. As food banks in our network face provide 7,000 emergency food parcels to people in crisis every day this month. It's not right that any of us are forced to charity for the essentials. Well, that completes this edition. Our thanks go to the Whitney Gazette for the articles we've used this week. And my special thanks go to our recording engineer, Graham Diacon. Thank you also to our readers this week, Keith Turner, Dorothy Allen, Byron Russell and Jenny Wiley. Our admin team this week was Doreen Turner and Jean Thompson, and our copiers and packers are Ian Rose and Mike Herbert, so thank you to them too. Keep listening at the end for the TNF Radio Soundings recommendations for the coming week on radio. But I know everyone at Whitney Talking News would like to wish you well, and on their behalf, until our next edition, we all say... Goodbye. Goodbye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting on Saturday, January 8th. Radio 4, Unmade Movies at 2.45. The screenplay for Orson Welles' Heart of Darkness, the novel by Joseph Conrad, adapted for radio. More great drama at 4pm on Radio 4 Extra, with an adaptation of Ronald Harwood's The Dresser, starring Freddie Jones and Michael Palin. 6pm on Radio 4 Extra brings a dramatisation of G. Du Montpossant's tale of loneliness and dark imagining, The Inn. Opera on 3 from The Met presents Terence Blanchard's Fire Shut Up In My Bones. It's the first time The Met's 138-year history that it's ever performed an opera by a black composer. An evening of laughter is promised on Radio 4 Extra from 7 till 10, when in Hilarious Histories, What's So Funny About the Past, Greg Jenner sets out to discover why comedy writers love history. Johnny Walker presents The Rock Show at 8pm on Radio 2, while on Classic FM at 9, David Mellor's Melodies. On to Sunday, January 9th, the first of ten episodes of a 15-minute drama at 2.45 on Radio 4, The seventh test tells of a sales assistant who's promised wealth and power if she can pass seven tests. Followed at three by Munchausen, when the 18th century comic creation Lord of Lies and all the other 43 characters brought up to date by Alistair McGowan. Classic FM at four is the place to be to hear John Humphrey's choice from the New Year's Day concert from Vienna. And superheroes are the subject of Sunday Night is Music Night on Radio 2 at 7, while on the same time on Classic FM, Charlotte Hawkins chooses some smooth classics. Music and drama intertwine at 7.30pm on Radio 3. To Preserve the Health of the Nation has five imagined encounters between the composer William Byrd, who looks back at his key influences. David Suchet stars as Byrd, as it was recorded in the Chapel Royal in the Tower of London and the music is performed by the Odyssean Ensemble. And a raucous end to the day and the weekend, a complete contrast to the music of Bird, 9pm Radio 2, 
a new series of Top Brass. On to programmes then that are serialised every day at the same time, Monday to Friday. So same radio station, same time, every day, Monday to Friday. Book of the Week at 9.45 on Radio 4 and repeated at 12.30 is Islands of Abandonment by Cal Flynn. It reveals the extraordinary places where humans no longer live or survive in small numbers. Composer of the Week at noon on Radio 3 is Jean-Baptiste Lully. And just after midday on Radio 4, Paradise by the Nobel Literature Laureate Abdulzarak Gurnan. It's set in Tanzania and at the turn of the 20th century and it's read by Patterson Joseph. At 1.45 on Radio 4, past forward, A Century of Sound, which commemorates the centenary of the BBC, continues with episodes 6 to 10. And all this week, Radio 3 celebrates the conductor Bernard Heitink, who died last year. There's a daily concert at 7.30 every evening. And, of course, the Classic FM concert with John Suchet is at eight, and it's all about the Great Composer Month once again. On to the rest of the highlights for the week then. Monday, January 10th, an interesting varied concert at 2pm on Radio 3. It consists of works by Mendelssohn, Hildegard of Bingham, Beethoven and Elgar. United Kingdoms, a series of mini-dramas capturing contemporary life across the UK, is at 2.15 on Radio 4. The music quiz Counterpoint follows at three, or you could choose Lawn Wars, a comedy drama on Radio 4 Extra. Back on Radio 4 at four, for one of those quirky programmes typical of the station, Finding Harpo's Voice, an exploration by cellist Stephen Isirilis on how his idol Harpo Marx created a unique language through the use of props, horns and by playing the harp. There's a new series on Radio 4 of The Unbelievable Truth, hosted by David Mitchell at 6.30pm. Grace Dent's The Untold at 8, also on Radio 4, tells the story of a Bristol artist who created a musical sculpture made of conch shells. And The Blues Show with Keris Matthews is at 9 o'clock on Radio 2. Tuesday, January 11th, Room 5 at 9am on Radio 4. After being diagnosed with a rare genetic hearing loss, Bex went on to interview other folk with rare diseases, with an interesting result. The second episode of Gabriel Gatehouse's investigation into the dark underbelly of modern America, The Coming Storm, airs at 11am on Radio 4. A contrast comes from the programme following at 11.30, The Lullaby Project, reported on by Felicity Finch, tells how members of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra work alongside prison inmates to perform music to establish a bond with their children. Part two of the drama about Isaac Newton, Nemesis, is at 2.15 on Radio 4. The first of three parts of the dramatisation of Sons and Lovers is at 3pm on Radio 4 Extra. Carries on the rest of the week, Wednesday and Thursday. Word of Mouth with Michael Rosen returns at four on Radio 4. He explores words and music from World War I and what they mean to us today. The Welsh song Mifanwy is the subject of soul music at 6.30 on Radio 4 Extra. And stick with that station for a variety of programmes during the evening. There's The Goon Show at 7. 7.30 comedy drama Winston Back Home. First of seven episodes of John Creasy's thriller Battle for Inspector West at 8. The Jazz Show with Jamie Cullum is at 9 on Radio 2. 
while at the same time on Radio 4 Extra, an exploration of political accents entitled Could the PM Have a Brummy Accent? Wednesday, January 12th, the 80th anniversary of female conscription is marked at 11am on Radio 4 by the Army Girls. The few remaining veterans tell of their experiences. At 2.15 on Radio 4, the second part of Fake Heiress, a docudrama about a Russian woman who passed herself off as a wealthy Manhattan heiress in 2013. Another clutch of programmes on Radio 4 Extra for an early evening. 6.30pm, The Radio Detectives, considers Lord Peter Whimsey. Hancock's Half Hour is at 7. If you're so clever, why aren't you rich at 7.30? Then Battle for Inspector West continues at 8pm. A complete contrast is provided at 8pm on Radio 4 with the newswires of the Moral Maze, which you'll either shout at the radio or nod in agreement. Whichever, it is never dull. And at 9 o'clock, there's something for all tastes. Radio 2, The Folk Show with Mark Radcliffe. Radio 4, The Flip Side with Paris Lee, when family complications are considered. While Radio 4 Extra brings the Sondheim Archive. Thursday, January 13th starts with Nightwatch in the morning at 11.30am on Radio 4. But it looks at how the recent murders of women have highlighted how many women feel how violence, stalking, insults and rejected come-ons limit their freedom to carry on their lives unmolested. Comic Driver provides a contrast at 2.15 on Radio 4, me and Robin Hood. It's about a man who channels his childhood love of Robin Hood to challenge today's consumer-driven society. 4pm on Radio 4, Stephen Pinker wonders if it's possible to harness rational thinking to experience the world more clearly. Radio 4 Extra at 6.30, the great live series Daniel O'Connell is the subject. Country Show with Bob Harris is at 9pm on Radio 2 and the poetry of Thomas Hardy the subject of In Our Time at 9.30pm on Radio 4. We finish the week with Friday, January 14th, and the medical thriller Steelheads continues with episode 3 at 2.15 on Radio 4. Eddie Goes Country at 2.30pm on Radio 4 Extra is where Eddie Mayer explores Scotland's rich folk music heritage. Followed at 3, and still on a musical theme, with Glass, how the lives of Mozart and Mesmer are linked by the invention of the glass harmonica. The News Quiz, the topical comedy panel game, is at 6.30pm on Radio 4. And to end the week's listening, some poetry. The Verb at 10pm on Radio 3 presents readings from the finalists of the T.S. Eliot Prize awarded for the best collection of 2021. That's it for this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. TNF Soundings Thank you.